Joseph of the house of David, and of the virgin's name, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Tonight we're going to look here at these verses we just read, but we're also going to look at the name of Jesus the name of Jesus, and what that means to us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. And God, the great privilege that it is to hold your completed word in, in our hands. Lord, I pray tonight that we would be reminded here at the beginning of December to not, uh, Lord, get so uh, consumed with traditions. Lord, the thought of Christmas, the feeling of being with family and all the things that come with it. But God, that we would remember, Lord, why this holiday was established, to remember and think about you coming for us. Lord, I pray tonight that as we look at your name, we would be encouraged, God, in our relationship with you, God, that we would be strengthened in our faith, and Lord, that we'd also just be able to leave here with a great peace in our heart, knowing that you are everything we've ever needed and everything we ever will need. Bless this night in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In 1988, there was this young girl named Anissa Ayala. She was 16 years old. She had been diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. And the doctors did many experimental treatments on her and and certain medications that had been given to her that they hadn't done uh, too often and chemotherapy and radiation treatment. And they did these things and prolonged her life. But if she did not receive bone marrow transplant, she would eventually die even with all the treatments that they could bring for her. You know, the first option they would go to would be the parents, and their parent, her parents were not a match. They went to her brother. He was not a match, and they couldn't find a donor anywhere, and time was, was dwindling in the, for this young girl's life, and they knew it would be just a matter of, of a year or two before she would pass away, and her parents, both in their 40s, uh, decided to have another child in hopes that it would be compatible with Anissa, and you may remember this story back from from this from the late 80s, early 90s. It was somewhat controversial, all that all that took place in this. But to their delight, it was determined they were going to have a new baby, and that baby, when she was born, was a compatible donor. And when Marissa Ayala was 14 months old, she they took some of her marrow, bone marrow, and gave it to her sister Anissa. And her sister made a full recovery, is still living today. And about 10 years ago, the, the, the younger sister had graduated from college and was moving on in her life, and it was a great celebration. And this is what her sister, uh, what she said about her sister. She said, without me being a perfect match for my sister, she 
would not be here. And th- th- that young woman, Marissa, was born to save. She was born to save her sister's life. And as we look at the Word of God tonight, here beginning of the Gospel of Luke that we've been in for many months, we've seen Jesus, we've seen his ministry, we've seen him traveling around and healing and performing miracles and all the things that Jesus did. But the main reason as we look at Jesus here is that he was born to save. And he, he did many things while he was on this earth. And we look in the Bible, we have much recorded of him. But the reason he came was to seek and to save that which was lost. He's the one and only Savior. He's the only one that could save us. He, he himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And as we have this year set aside uh, for, the, for many, many years at this point to celebrate the birth of Jesus, we need to think highly of his name and to make sure that the distractions that come and all the things that come, the busyness of the season, no matter if they are still good things, do not distract us or take away the, rem- the remembrance that we should have that Jesus came for you and for me. And as we look at our text tonight, the name of Jesus is revealed to Mary. It's a name we know well. It's a name that many people use. They have no idea what it means or who he is or why he came. And as if we were to go back in Bible times, we would discover that this name Jesus was a well-known name in Bible times. It was very common. It was the name of one of the greatest heroes in the history of Israel, Joshua. Joshua is the Hebrew name, and Jesus is the Greek name. They both mean the same thing. Jehovah is salvation. There are many with that name. But when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, as many children as there were that might have had that same name, there was no one like him, was there? This was the Son of God. So the angel came to Mary here, and in verse 31, he told her that the, to name the child Jesus. If we were to look in the book of Matthew, we would find several months later, after, after this, this point, the angel visited Joseph to tell him the same thing. It says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. We could look in, in the book of Luke chapter 2, look there at verse 21. When the baby was eight days old, Mary and Joseph took him to be circumcised, and we find they obeyed the voice of the angel by the name that this baby had. It says, and when the eight days were accomplished, in verse 21, for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus. They were obedient in what they'd been instructed to do. And as you have our first Christmas message of the season tonight, I think it'd be good for us to study what we find here, the description of Jesus in Luke chapter 1, and why that name should mean something every time we hear it or read it. So we look here, beginning in verse 32, the identity of Jesus. It says, he shall be great, and his name shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. First thing we know about his identity is he's the son of God. He says the son of the highest. This baby that God brought to her womb would not be like any other baby. He was the son of God. There was no one like him. And being the son of God, he was the eternal son of God. He existed with his father from eternity past and he would step into time and be born through the womb of Mary and and prophecy was being fulfilled right here as we read in Luke chapter 1 when in the book of Isaiah chapter 7 it says therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel that name Emmanuel means God with us that's who Jesus is 
He's the Son of God. He is God in human flesh. God with us. The book of John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, when we hear that name, we should understand and acknowledge Him, not just as the Son of God, but as, but as God as well. He's the King of Israel. It says there in verse 32, The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. This baby is born of humble people and in humble means was also the direct descendant of David. And I love that we're not just told that in the Bible. We have, we can, we have it listed out for us in the Bible as well. We're not going to go there for time's sake. But more than it just being listed for us, that was prophesied as well. We could go back if you want to look there later. 2 Samuel chapter 7 beginning in verse 4. We read about 13 verses there. And we would find the prophecy about a thousand years earlier that this, that this Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And that baby was one day going to sit on the throne of David and be crowned the king of kings and lord of lords. And unlike every other king in the line of David, this king would reign forever. He would rule, return in glory one day and we're still waiting for that one to be fulfilled. And he would rule with a rod of iron as we see in Revelation chapter 19. So when we see the name Jesus or say the name Jesus, he's not just the son of God, he is the king of kings. He's the complete fulfillment of prophecy as he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. That phrase goes far back. It goes even before the time of David, that part of that phrase, to the days of, of Israel and Jacob. It brings to mind the words of, of Israel that he spoke to his son in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Just before he died, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. As Israel laid there dying, he told Judah and his descendants that, that they would be the rulers of the people of Israel. And he's told that ultimately one person, one known as Shiloh, would come. And that word Shiloh means he whose it is. That means one day a supreme ruler would come. He'd be the possessor of the people and many other things. And Israel went on to say, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That word gathering means it's referring to an obedience or a purging or a cleansing. So as that prophecy was given, as Israel laid there in his deathbed, speaking of this one named Shiloh that would come, he was saying that supreme one would bring cleansing to his people. He would purge them. He would claim them for his own. And the baby Jesus, as we look at the rest of the gospel, was a fulfillment of that very prophecy. That, that prophecy. So when we hear Jesus... Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfills all ancient prophecies concerning the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. He fulfilled those. And he's the greatest to ever walk the face of this earth. Look at verse 32. He shall be great. That word means to be great in importance or estimation. So there's no other birth in human history as monumental as the birth of Jesus. Non-believers acknowledge it. Other religions acknowledge it. And when he, when he came into this world, he took place as the greatest of the great. You know, just a few weeks ago in our, in our study in Romans, and yes, we will be getting back there before, before too long, but we, spoke, we read of the first Adam and the second Adam. 
And we understand the first Adam was a great miracle, wasn't he? He came from nothing. God created them. God breathed flesh into Adam and Eve. What a miracle it was. Because God formed them from the dust of the earth and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. As we read in Genesis chapter 1. But that first Adam, what did he do for us? He brought sin. He brought death. And that brought condemnation on every one of his descendants. And that brought shame. But we understand the second Adam fixed everything that the first Adam had broken. And when Jesus was born, God was made in the image of man. Just as, just, just as God created Adam, God created Jesus. And Jesus was born as the second Adam, unlike the first. He was born without sin. He lived without ever sinning. And as he died for us, he died for sin. The second Adam was, it was a greater miracle than the first Adam because he caused light to shine out of darkness. He brought life from death. He destroyed condemnation. He is great. So that's his identity. As we continue on here about Jesus, not only do we see his identity, but we see the poverty of Jesus. We looked at the first few verses that we read tonight, beginning in verse 26. The angel Gabriel could have picked anybody. God could have sent him to anyone. But he found this young maiden girl named Mary. Mary was engaged to Joseph. And we understand Joseph was a carpenter by trade. We can look at Matthew and, and see that there for us. Wasn't much to offer in terms of money. Jesus, the king of kings, was born into a family that did not have much. As we look in Luke chapter 2. We see them arriving to the city of Bethlehem to be counted in the, in the census. And Jesus was born and laid in a manger. Mary laid him there in a trough that was used to feed animals. And she was forced to do this because there was no room for them in the inn. And I want to tell you that inn they went to, if you were to study those, those times, was, was not the Hilton. And this inn, this inn was not really much to, to speak of. Itself, it was a place reserved for poor travelers of, of, that, of that family, of those descendants. They would seek lodging for the night. Those that had wealth in the Bible times, they would seek to rent shelter in private homes or in more suitable places. But for people in the status of Mary and Joseph, that inn would have been an option for them. But even then, they couldn't get in there. It was already filled to capacity. The Bible says there was no room for them in the inn. They had to seek shelter in another place, so they were forced to spend the night with the animals. If they had the means to do so, they would have been somewhere a little better than that. But that's what they had to deal with that night. And, and there Mary delivered the Son of God. He came humbly into this world. And as we hear the name of Jesus, and as we look at the Christmas story, we're often reminded of the sacrifices that he made for us, aren't we? Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in his second letter to them in chapter 8. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and we know he was, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. We need to understand everything we know about his identity. He's the son of God, he's the creator of this world. He, he has everything and he, he humbled himself to come to this world for us. And while he was the creator of all things, when he was on this earth, he possessed nothing that wasn't given to him by someone else. He lived off the gifts of those that cared about him. When he was a child, God commanded his parents to go to Egypt and to finance, to finance that trip and provide for the son. God 
moved the wise men to go there when Jesus was about two years of age and they brought the gold, the frankincense and myrrh and those things were provided at the perfect time for them to be able to, to, to travel and to, to live while they were there. When Jesus had to pay his taxes in the book of Matthew chapter 17, he, he got money from the mouth of a fish. When he died, the only possession that he had was an expensive garment that he had on his back that the soldiers gambled for. And that garment was, without a doubt, a gift from one of his followers. So while he lived, nearly every significant event utilized something that was borrowed, or that was intended for somebody else. Think of the, the time he preached from the boat. Was that his boat? No. He borrowed a boat to preach from it. He borrowed a house to live in. He borrowed a donkey to ride on. He borrowed a room to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. He even borrowed a tomb to be buried in. The one who had everything. The one that created everything we have. He gave up his right to all things so that you and I might be given all things. We praise God for his poverty because through his poverty we became rich. Through the poverty of his name. And then the third thing tonight, the ministry of his name. The angel told Mary to name her child Jesus. And that name, we we said just a few minutes ago, means Jehovah is salvation. That name declares his ministry. That name declares exactly why he came. You think God named Jesus, Jesus, for a certain reason. I believe he did. When the angel came to Joseph, he said that she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. In case you didn't know why we're naming him Jesus, I'm going to tell you that his purpose is to bring salvation. His purpose is to save all of mankind from their sin. And as Joseph heard this, you can imagine Joseph finding out about Mary and her situation And Joseph understanding he's just a carpenter, she's just a poor maiden girl. They didn't have much to offer in this world. They weren't even married yet. And he's thinking, how would this baby accomplish the salvation of his people? The angel's telling me this, and he's telling me he's he's, he's coming to this world to save, but how can that be accomplished? We're going to find out inevitably that Jesus would accomplish it by going to the cross in the place of all of mankind where he would then be judged in our place. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians again, chapter 5, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's why he came. I'm thankful for the the timing of our our study in Romans, and we spent months looking at those, those texts and understanding we're sinners, we are unrighteous, there's nothing we can do to be made righteous, but Jesus died in our place, and through him we are seen as righteous in the sight of God. And in order for us to be seen as righteous in the sight of God, Jesus himself had to be made sin for us. When Jesus came to this world, he did a lot of things. I'm thankful for the the journey that we've gone on and studying these things together on Sunday mornings. As Jesus came, he did a lot of teaching, didn't he? And we've learned from his teaching. He didn't come to simply teach even though no one ever taught like him. He didn't come to this world to simply heal even though he healed every sickness that he ever encountered. He didn't come to this world to raise the dead even though we've already seen he's broken up several funerals. 
Jesus didn't come to this world to just perform miracles, even though he accomplished many during his time in this earth. He came to this world to die on the cross and to give his life a ransom for all of mankind. He came to die for those that he loved. As Jesus taught, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Every second that Jesus lived, from the time he was born until the time that he cried, it is finished, and yielded up his spirit, was all for the purpose to lead him to Calvary. To get more personal tonight, you are the reason he came to this world. You are the reason he took upon the the form of a servant. You are the reason he lived. You are the reason he died. You are the reason he rose again. He came for you. He he came, as, as he said in John chapter 10, he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And when you hear his name this Christmas season, it should remind us of his identity, of his poverty, of his ministry, and then fourthly tonight of his glory. The angel told Mary there in verse 33, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Gabriel, as he came to Mary, told her that 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 baby boy that was the one who would reign forever. As he's referring to one that will reign, it's referring to a king or one that would rule in majesty and glory. And Mary was going to give birth to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What an amazing thing that was for her to find out, but also something. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been for her to completely comprehend? Look at Isaiah chapter 53 tonight. Isaiah 53. As we journey through the Gospels, we see how people responded. Some believe, some don't. Many are skeptical. As we look at prophecy, prophecy revealed what the majority of the people and of the response to the Messiah being born would be. In Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a Root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And as Jesus came to this world, we understand he is one that was going to reign forever, but as he was one that was going to reign forever while he was here, many rejected him. And not just rejected him, they despised him. They, they killed him. They wanted him gone. And while Jesus lived on this earth, many did not recognize his majesty. They didn't recognize his glory or his authority. No one really saw him for who he truly was. What did they see? Some looked at him. And they saw a Jewish carpenter. Not too long ago, we looked at the people of Jesus' own hometown, Nazareth. They looked at what he was doing. They heard the message he said. And they said, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. They said, he says he's the son of God. He's saying he's something, the one that's supposed to come for us. But he's just... 
a carpenter. Some looked at him and they saw a revolutionary. He was one that stirred the people. He was one that had a following. He was one that the Romans saw was a dangerous person. And we can look in the end of, end of Luke. It says, And when they were more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, speaking, beginning from Galilee to this place. They looked at him and they said, He's one that's going to cause us a lot of trouble. He's going to cause rioting. He's going to cause rebellion. Some looked at him and what they saw was a healer. They saw what he did for other people. They wanted him to do the same thing for us. Think about Jesus in John chapter 11. He was there at the tomb of Lazarus. We look in the Bible. He was four days late. He got there and and some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? He's healed other people. Couldn't he heal Lazarus? It's a good thing to see him as, but that's not, not all Jesus was. Some saw an earthly king. And the, the disciples, many of them, had a misconception of what Jesus is going to do. And they wanted him to rule with, with, with a, a strong hand and to overtake the government of the, of the Romans. They thought that's why he had come. And what about those that witnessed the feeding of the 5,000? We can look in the book of John chapter 6 that when, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Jesus just fed thousands of people. They said, if he can do this, he can overtake the government. They wanted to, to take him and, and force him to, to sit on the throne, and that's not why he came. Some looked at him, and they just saw an innocent man. Pilate did not completely perceive who Jesus was, but he looked at the people as they wanted Jesus to be, to be killed, and he said, take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Very few saw Jesus as the Son of God. You know, Martha in the book of John says, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into this world. Peter, as we saw a few weeks ago, called Jesus the Son of God. He knew exactly who he was. Some saw a righteous man. The centurion in Luke chapter 23, after Jesus breathed his last breath there on the cross. The centurion said, certainly this was a righteous man. So look in the Word of God, many people saw Jesus in many different ways. Some were close. Some saw a small portion of who he was or an aspect of his ministry. I, I truly believe not even the disciples understood completely who Jesus was. We can look in, in the book of Luke or in the book of Matthew at the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw something awesome, but they didn't completely understand what was going on and who he was. Many people in this world recognize Jesus and they've heard his name, they know the story, they might be able to quote to you John 3.16. But many people are walking the face of this earth with the completed word of God that do not truly understand who it is we're speaking about, who it is that we are praying through his name. The Son of God in, in all his glory. He lived and he died as God, walking amongst men, while very few had the slightest idea who he was. And we read these stories, and sometimes we shake our head at, at their lack of faith or their lack of obedience their lack of submission to him or some of the silly comments they might say. 
they did not have what we have. They had some prophecy. They, they, had, the, they had heard some of his teachings. They've seen some of his miracles. We have the completed word of God tonight. We have no reason not to have a greater picture in our mind of who Jesus is. And understanding that tonight, are we truly recognizing him and praising him and worshiping him for who he is? Understanding the name of Jesus and what it means should motivate us to a life of service. Should motivate us to a life of wanting to tell others of who he is. You know, there's coming a day when the whole world will know who Jesus is. And when he returns in his glory, everyone will bow, even his enemies. Look at Revelation chapter 19 with me. Revelation 19. Verse 11, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he, that, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he saw a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords, that's Jesus. Look at chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to the works. And death and hell were cast in the second, into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not written, found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. We need to recognize that now we understand who he is. But there's many that walk this earth right now that will not acknowledge him that will not reverence him, that will not come to him. We need to do our job to tell them. But no matter what somebody may acknowledge today, it does not change who Jesus is, and it does not change that one day every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians chapter 2, I, I love what we find there in, in verse 9 through 11. And what we read there in chapter 2 will, will one day, and at this moment literally be fulfilled when it says, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, the name of Jesus will be, will be proclaimed from the throne of heaven. 
at this church, we're going to proclaim the name of Jesus. As we preach the word of God, we're going, to, we're going to speak the name of Jesus. We're going to praise the name of Jesus. We're going to pray in the name of Jesus. But one day, even the people that do not believe, that do not come, that do not put their faith and trust in him, will acknowledge him as he is. And every knee will bow. What a day that will be when we see him face to face. You know, when you say his name, when you sing his name, when you hear his name, you proclaim the greatest name that has ever hit the ears of humanity. And when we proclaim the name of Jesus, we are saying the name of the Savior for all of mankind, the shepherd for every sheep, the redeemer of every soul, the lover of every man, the glory of heaven, the one who calls us his friend, the true and living one. That's a pretty great name. I want you to look at your hymn book and look at Song 42. There's a song there, I don't know if we've, how long it's been since we've sung it or if we've ever sung it, called What a Lovely Name. We're going to sing it together. You can do that with me. There's a name above all others, wonderful to hear, bringing hope and cheer. It's the lovely name of Jesus, evermore the same. What a lovely name. Sing that chorus. What a lovely name, this name of Jesus, reaching higher far than the brightest star, sweeter than the songs they sing in heaven, let the world proclaim, what a lovely name, do two and three together, through his name there's wondrous power, power to redeem, making sinners clean, by his power he cleansed the leper, Open blinded eyes, cause the dead to rise. Verse 3, he'll return in clouds of glory, saints of every race shall be oldest face, with him enter heaven's city. Ever to acclaim, what a lovely name. Sing that chorus again. What a lovely name, this name of Jesus. Reaching higher far than the brightest star. Sweeter than the songs they sing in heaven. 
let the world proclaim what a lovely name. That's a lovely name. It's a name that when we hear it should mean something, should bring us to a point of praise. It's a name that when it's mentioned, all of hell trembles. Sin is defeated, fear becomes peace. Lost or found, blind see, dead live. At the mention of the name of Jesus, lost can be saved and a new life can begin. So as you hear his name and as we think about him coming to this world for us, understand what that means and who it is that came for you. The name of Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed.